Today's scripture reading is from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 2, beginning at verse 10. Then David slept with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. The time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned for seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. Solomon loved the Lord. Walking in the statutes of his father David only, he sacrificed and offered incense at the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the principal high place Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your, to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Although I am only a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. For who can govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor all your life. No other king shall compare with you. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your life. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be infused with your holy wisdom, O Lord. And may they be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So after the past couple weeks, our scripture pass over the past couple of weeks, our scripture passages have focused on King David. And you know, David is the archetypal king, the greatest king in the history of 
Israel, and he looms large over both the Old and New Testaments. This week, however, we hear that David has died, and he's gone to sleep with his ancestors. We're told his son Solomon has ascended the throne in his place, and here's a nice little Renaissance (laughs) painting of, of Solomon. So if you have trouble picturing Solomon, you know, feel free to picture that, Solomon. Now we're told that one day Solomon visits a shrine called Gibeon, one of the religious high places, and here he offers a sacrifice to God. And then he retires overnight to one of his many royal cottages because, you know, they didn't have trains or planes, so they kind of had to go places long distance, sleep over, return in the morning. And that night, while he's snoozing away, God himself visits Solomon in his dreams. Now, we don't know what form God takes in this dream, if any. All we're given is a voice that speaks. And the voice issues a direction. Ask what I should give you, says God. What would you like me to give you? Or as the, you know, the Spice Girls once put it, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. <laughs> I was talking with my wife Cheyenne about that. She said, leave that out. <laughs> it's probably, probably the right decision, but I couldn't help myself. Um, God gives Solomon one wish more or less. What do you want? And after recounting God's faithfulness and praising him for sticking up by his father through thick and thin, Solomon admits that he's in way over his head. I don't know how to come out or go in. I'm just a young guy. I don't know anything. I have zero experience and skill. He's got huge shoes to fill. Hundreds of thousands of citizens are depending on him. Really, it's an impossible task for anybody, let alone someone so inexperienced as him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were given a single wish, I probably would say something like, mortgage money. We're a church full to the brim of people. Post-COVID, of course. Solomon, though, in his answer, puts my piety, or lack thereof, to shame. Give your servant, he says, give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. Other translations say something like, give your servant a listening heart, but no matter how it's put, what it means is wisdom. Solomon asks for the wisdom to discern, to know the difference between good and evil, to know the difference between right and wrong, to know the good and to do it for the sake of his kingdom. His wish, his only wish so far is for wisdom. Now this apparently is the right answer because we're told that it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. So ding, 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 right answer. Wisdom, Solomon That is exactly it. Now, what's truly interesting here isn't that God says, you wanted wisdom, you got it. What's interesting is that God first lists the things Solomon could have asked for rather than wisdom. 
Well, Solomon, God replies, you might have asked to live past 100, or you could have wished for a swimming pool full of gold coins, or you could have, had, you could have turned the brains of your enemies to mush while they ate dinner, but you didn't. You could have asked for wealth. You could have asked for power to wield. You could have asked for immortality, or at least a very long life, but instead, you asked for understanding. You asked for a listening heart. You could have asked for anything else, but you, my friend, chose wisdom. So guess what? You got it. You'll be the wisest king there ever was, and to top it all off, I'm going to give you the wealth and honor you didn't ask for either. You know, ask for wisdom, and you get wealth and reputation as a sort of a bonus, Solomon. So the question is this, why did God need to bring up all the things Solomon could have asked for instead of wisdom? Why not just give him the thing he asked for and be done with it? Right answer, here you go, boom. Well, because the scriptures are trying to draw a real distinction between the pursuit of wisdom and the pursuit of wealth, power, personal health, and longevity. These two things are apparently not the same, or at least seeking them isn't. Of course, you can be wise and become wealthy. God, after all, says Solomon, he's going to be rich, but not because he was seeking after of it. And not only that, God says that the gift of wisdom is in some kind of a blank check, that whatever Solomon does from this point on will be counted as wise. God says that if Solomon keeps his commandments, then he'll live long and live well. And the kingdom will live long and well. Wisdom is given freely to those who ask, but if he stops asking, and if he asks for something else instead, then he's on the highway to hell and bringing his kingdom with him. There's a distinction between seeking wisdom and wealth and power and even your own life. So spoiler alert, if you haven't read the rest of the Bible, Solomon really drops the ball in the end. He had his brother arrival to the throne knocked off. He offered sacrifices at pagan altars. He made an alliance with Egypt, which was Israel's sworn enemy. He took forever to build the house in Jer- or the, the temple in Jerusalem while you know, completing his own home very quickly. And you know, he did all of this by enslaving people, both foreign and domestic. He blew the bank and he lived opulently while ordinary citizens starved. And not only did he use marriage as a means of international diplomacy, he had over 700 wives, right? Solomon didn't meet a commandment he didn't like to break. In fact, the last thing the book of Kings says he did was, quote, evil in the sight of the Lord. And after he died, his kingdom fell apart, or at least began to. So God points out what he didn't ask for as a warning, 
because the seeking of wisdom and the seeking of wealth, status, and power are two different things. Wisdom has to be in some way the opposite of self-seeking. The former pleases God and the latter clearly doesn't. One way is the way to life and the other way is the way to destruction, defeat, and death. The other way is not good. Now I'm sure all of us, all of us, you and I, would nod our heads to that sentiment. If there was a Gallup poll that asked us, what's more important, wisdom or wealth, status, and power? Most of us would say wisdom, of course. Most of us would say that self-interest should take a back seat to the common good, that we should do well for our neighbors over ourselves. Check, check, check. We all, in some way, believe this. We may believe it, though, up here in the head, but do our lives actually reflect that? Like I said, if I was given one wish, I'd probably have my mortgage paid off, or a successful church, or good careers for my kids. And really, we live in a culture and society that reinforces the values of self-seeking like there's no tomorrow. I mean, we're the smartest, wealthiest, most powerful, longest living people in the history of the world, and yet we're some of the most unhappy, most depressed, anxious, and fearful people there ever were. As bright and resourceful as we may be, fearful disasters lurk on the horizon that we can't control. Even with all the resources of the world at our disposal, we can't seem to find a sense of true purpose, true peace, true rest. Like Solomon, we've searched out and found just about every good thing and yet go want for true wisdom. We've got it pretty good, but we have no idea what the good life, a life that leads not to death and despair, but goodness and joy truly looks like. We may believe it up here, but whether it is in the actions or touches down in our lives is a whole other question. So how can we seek wisdom? I mean, I'd hate to say this yet again. I say this very often, and I admit that. It's sort of like playing the same key over and over and over again. But the New Testament does provide us with an answer. The long story of Scripture does provide us with an answer. This kind of wisdom is accessible to us right now. I've said it before that my oldest son, Walter, once told his younger brother, Abraham, in Sunday school that if anybody asks him a question, just say Jesus, he said, because that's probably going to be the answer. Just say Jesus. And that's the answer yet again. Jesus is the answer to the question of wisdom. Ding, ding, ding. Jesus himself identifies with another Old Testament figure, woman wisdom, who cries out from the street in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom who was there at the creation of the world. The physical embodiment of the way of the good. He says that to follow in his way is to receive the same thing Solomon received in a dream, but even greater. And the New Testament, too, on multiple occasions, directly calls Jesus the wisdom of God. 
On one hand, Jesus reveals the deepest truth about the universe and about who God is. On the other hand, he reveals the path, the way that leads to life rather than death, and he himself walks it. And of course, this way is counterintuitive. It goes against the grain of everything we've learned, of everything as a society we value. You want to be rich? Jesus says, learn how to give what you've got away. With God, there's always enough to go around. Generosity is the only way to gain anything of true value, anything that lasts. You want to be powerful, Jesus says. The greatest among you will be the one who learns how to serve the least, the last, and the lost. Seek not money, career status, Facebook likes, or public displays of virtue. The only way to the top, Jesus says, is downward mobility. You want longevity? You've got to take up the cross and learn how to die to yourself. To let go of your own ego, your self-righteousness, and self-satisfaction so you can be raised from death and be born again to new life. Life, fullness of life, eternal life is only found in letting go of our anxiety, our fear, our despair, and even our own sense of virtue and righteousness to be born again. So no wonder the Apostle Paul told the early Christian communities that God's wisdom is foolishness to the world because it goes against the grain of our every inclination. It's countercultural because it's an inversion of the values that our society and indeed our world holds dear. It may be foolishness to the world, but as the Apostle Paul says to those of us who are being saved, it is the wisdom and the power of God, the way that God saves us in the world is through self-giving, sacrificial love. Christ became rich. Christ who is rich became poor, that we might become rich in the good things of God. So. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may you be given wisdom. May you be given the courage to be truly countercultural, to seek the ways of wisdom over the ways of the world, not just once like Solomon, but each and every day. And in your seeking, may you find, finally find your true heart's desire the true riches of heaven, the power of self-giving love, and a life that lasts as long as eternity. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be given unto you. Amen.